Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. What's up, traders? Welcome to episode 62. For this episode, I spoke with Tracy, otherwise known as Shy Girl on Twitter. Tracy is a technical intraday trader, but also tracks fundamentals very closely. She solely focuses on the energy sector and has an obsession with crude oil. Yes, obsession may sound like a strong word, but you'll soon understand. During our interview, Tracy shares her story about how she up and left LA to chase her desire of becoming a trader and how she wound up at a hack shop brokerage, which is best described as a scene from the trading movie Boiler Room. We also discuss the bear market of oil, the impact falling prices have on a macro level, the skill sets that have helped Tracy to survive and thrive as a trader, plus much more. And last thing, Tracy has kindly offered to answer any questions that you may have, whether they're about oil specifically or just trading in general. So go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash 62, scroll to the bottom of the page and write your questions in the comments area. All right, team, here we go. I'm your host, Aaron Firefield, and here is this week's guest, Tracy, aka Shy Girl on Twitter. Hey, Tracy, what's up? How are you? Good. How are you? I am doing very well. It's awesome to be speaking with you. And I think the timing for this interview is really good. Also seen as oil is all the hype right now. And that's pretty much the niche that you focus on. But before we get into what it's really like to trade a commodity market like oil, let's talk about how you got to where you are right now. So Tracy, how did you get your start in the industry? And just for some added context, what were you doing before this also? Okay. Well, actually, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I uh, was studying international relations um, with an emphasis on Middle East politics. And I thought I wanted to go to law school and didn't end up going to law school. Um, so I took a job in sales selling medical supplies. And um, although it was great, I was traveling all the time. I hated it. I was living in Los Angeles, which was Great. Um, but I decided one day I wanted to get into this business. So I literally quit my job and moved to Chicago 
because that's the place to be if you want to start in the commodities industry. And um, had never been there before, sight unseen, had no job, just went for it. Pretty much I uh, knocked on every possible door. <laughs> no one wanted to hire a girl for sure. I had to beg for my first job, which um, actually was, um, I, I started the beginning, I started ground floor at a brokerage, which was pretty much your straight out of boiler room, hack shop. <laughs> In fact, they even got shut down by the NFA um, for something that happened long before I got there, by the way. Um, but uh, I had to beg for my job because nobody thought, you know, nobody wanted women. I was the only uh, woman my company had ever hired. Um, and I started there basically, you know, hacking away the 200 calls a day, asking mom and pop for 10 grand to trade options and futures. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's break this down a little more. So, just backtracking a little, I actually understand that your father was also a commodities trader. Did this have any influence on, you know, your decision? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I um, had said that, you know, I thought that um, with my background, with w what I had studied, being that I didn't go to law school, that I could um, use that for, um, for, I wanted to trade oil. So, um you know, that was a good background for that. So my father was in the industry, so I was familiar with the industry. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like I just had no exposure ever to the industry or anything and decided to chuck my job. <laughs> okay. And what was, what was the decision that led up to you chucking that job in? Like, did you reach a snapping point where you just kind of felt like this is it, it's kind of now or never? Yeah. I mean, I just felt like, I mean, I was still young. Um, but I, I, you know, I was traveling all the time. I was living in a great apartment that overlooked the ocean in Newport beach. And I was traveling, you know, five days a week and I was tired and I was selling medical grade plastics, which if I can't tell you what a more boring subject it is to talk to somebody about medical grade plastics all day, every day. Um, and I just burnt out. Literally, I just burnt out and I decided that, you know, I wasn't using my degree. I wasn't using I, I, anything that I liked. I wasn't excited anymore. Um, and I just wanted to make a change. Yeah. And I imagine that must have been a pretty big decision to just up and leave LA to move to Chicago at the time. So that's very cool to hear about. Um, and also on that, why did you decide to try and get a job within the industry instead of just trading independently? I wanted to learn from the inside out. I didn't think I was ready to trade right away. I had no clue about trading. I didn't want to take a bunch of courses. I thought the best way would be to get in the industry, try to get as near traders as I possibly could um, and the industry. And working at you know the Board of Trade every day certainly was that and exciting. And you know I worked my way from a broker to actually um, working on the trade floor. So um, for me, that was invaluable experience. And I just felt I wasn't having no experience in the industry. I just felt that, that I wasn't ready to jump right in and trading, not that other people shouldn't do it. And, you know, not that everybody has the, the opportunity to uh, be afforded to move to, just move to Chicago and get in the industry. And this was also, you know, at an earlier time, it wasn't, um, stay in age where, you know, brokers, you don't really need a broker anymore. Everybody's 
with a discount broker. You know, you have to remember this was kind of a lot earlier when people still had brokers and whatnot. So it was kind of a little bit different back then. Okay, sure, sure. Now that makes sense. So from the, the hack shop broker that, as you described it, where did you go next? Did you go straight onto the Chicago Board of Trade? I think you kind of mentioned that there. What was, what was the next yeah. step from there? My next step was I moved to a, a broker that was actually um, a really well-known broker. Um, and then from there, I moved to um, the trade board and I clerked for um, a trader who was in uh, Fed funds. Um, and then when market crashed and rates went to zero, um, we moved to the grain floor because there was really no business left to be had in Fed funds. Um, and then I was head of the trade desk there. So I kind of moved from clerk to um, head of trade desk in the grains room. And then we moved over to uh, the bond room. Okay, excellent. And I know you've got a very interesting story which you might be able to share with us um, or maybe I should say a kind of a, a frightening story. I'm not sure whereabouts it fits on your timeline but I believe that you, you wrote the wrong order on a trade ticket one day. Can you tell us a little more about that? Oh, that was at a brokerage. That was like one of my first trades. Uh, that happened several times on the floor, not by me though. But um, um yeah, um, I had just started and um, it was an options trade and I had written that, the, you know, there's a specific way to write the trade. You send it. And this is when, this was before you really traded options on screen, like the liquidity just wasn't there. So you still called down to the floor. Like I said, this is kind of back in the day. <laughs> You'd have to write the ticket. You send it to um, the guy, the guy calls the floor, puts your order in with the floor broker, the bro broker executes it. And so I, being brand new, wrote down the order backwards, <laughs> and it was my first crude. It was my first crude trade, actually, and um, and this is when I fell in love with crude. And it ended up that the trade actually ended up becoming a thirty thousand dollar winner from a loser. And I, you know, I uh, kind of just held my breath on that one. Not that it was probably a good idea, but I was brand new, scared to death to call the client, scared to say, I wrote your order wrong because really uh, writing the order wrong means you're responsible. That means it comes out of my, my paycheck. <laughs> um, so I sweat it out and it ended up to be a $30,000 winner for the guy. So, Okay. So lucky enough, it did result in a, in a profit, but at what, like how much were you down during the trade at, at the worst of it? At the worst of it, I was down like five grand. But you have to understand, it was one of my very first trades and five grand, you know, I was thinking, how am I ever going to make five grand to cover this trade? Okay, okay, um, sure. You know, literally it was like right at the beginning of, of my career and it, you're, you're working on commission only. So I barely had any clients, you know, I was, I was sweating at it. It wasn't the smartest decision to make in the world. It just, you know, I... Um, it, it ended up well. And then after that, I completely fell in love with crude and I've been trading crude ever since. Excellent. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time on that. I've got a bunch of questions that I'm keen to ask you around, um, you know, oil commodity markets. So I'm just, before we get into that, I'm, I'm keen to hear a little bit more about your, your role as head of a trading desk on the Chicago Board of Trade. Can you tell us a little bit more about that role and maybe like any challenges you experienced going from the position of a broker to becoming a trader? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was the head of trade desk. So basically what we did is um, we executed for, we were basically a floor broker. So we executed, um, but instead of for retail, we executed for um, hedge funds like SAS and, um, and, and whatnot. So I was dealing with not retail anymore, which is nice. So they would call us, we would give them trade recs, um, or they would call in with their own trades. I would give them then to the broker um, who would execute them on the floor. Um, so it was basically a four array. It was kind of in the middle between being like a broker to, you know, sort of trading because, um, you know, we also had trade strategies and things that we um, had to give to these people. Um, and, and you're on the trade floor, which is very exciting. Even when it started to dwindle down, I left in 2012. Um, I mean, it's still exciting to be on the trade floor. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was super exciting. Uh, you know, every day was a new day. Every, everything is moving so fast. There's so much room for, for error, but yet everything works like a well-oiled machine. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, no doubt. I imagine that would be a very cool environment to be to be working in every day. So, what actually led to your decision to go out on your own and and trade independently like you do these days? Well, the Florida was kind of dying, obviously, um, and so I and I was trading crude on on the side, um, you know, just in my own personal account, like a small account, you know, startup, um, because I, you know got more used to trading and more comfortable and I, you know, trading options and um, started trading futures during, you know, the downtimes on the floor. Um, so then my actual next step was instead of going out on my own, I actually got a job with a prop firm, which I highly recommend if you can get a job with a prop firm to um, any new trader, if you don't have an account large enough or if you want to be a funded trader. Um, it's a really good experience because it it forces you to be really focused and um, not to do s stupid shit, really, <laughs> because you're because you're accountable to somebody else and you're you're trading somebody else's money, and you have somebody always looking over you and you know they're monitoring you know every trade you make. So I think it helps you become a little more disciplined in your trading if you're a brand new trader and you can afford you know you have the opportunity. And you don't have, you know, the funds to um, fund your own account, basically. So, you know, after I, I outgrew that sort of experience, it's kind of when I went out on my own. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's talk a little more about your actual approach to markets um, that you're trading today. So, could you give us an overview of your approach and the type of methodology that you've adapted? Sure. I mean, I mean, I'm a technical. I would guess what you would define as a technical trader. I um, trade technically intraday, but I also have a solid knowledge of fundamentals because I think, and some people will disagree with me, but I think trading the oil market, I think it's invaluable to know uh, to have that fundamental knowledge of what what is going on, and to be able to trade it. To either swing trade it or or um, day trade it. Like I said, some people will disagree with me. They can just trade on technicals. They don't really care about fundamentals. That's fine. It also happens to be a passionate subject of mine. So um, I like to know what's going on in the market. Who's doing what? Who's saying what? You you know because you hear just the, the best example is recently all these OPEC rumors. 
you know, oil is up not because of anything other than OPEC rumors, right? So it's kind of nice to know, like, what is going on? Who is saying what? What's, what's possible? What's not possible? Who's producing what? Um, so I kind of trade with a combination of both fundamental and technical analysis, although I do interday trade solely based on technical analysis. Like I have certain levels and, and things that, that I trade off of. Um, I have a system. I make the same trades over and over again. I mean, what I tell my students is, here are the levels. What you want to do is you want to get in the habit of making the same trades over and over and again. Make it a system. Make it so it's a no-brainer because your worst enemy is always going to be your head, right? Like, you're going to find a million reasons not to make the trade, and you're not going to make the trade, especially if you're new, right? Because you're scared. So if you, if you come up with a system and you just make the same kinds of trades over and over again, even if they don't work, what you do is you're making high probability trades. If they don't work, they don't work. It happens. No big deal. You have a tight stop. Okay, move on to the next trade. But if they're high probability trades, you have the system, then you kind of leave the, like your brain out of the picture. Not that it's not ever completely out of the picture. Not that you're not going to second guess yourself. Not, but you know, I try to have um, a system that I will always take this trade. Period. Okay, that's excellent. So. What are some of the things that you actually look for? Like, what, what are some of the components of your system? Like, um, some of the opportunities that you're actually trying to capitalize on? Rotation levels, Fibonacci, um, volume profile, and footprint is kind of how I, my system of trading. Because I pretty much want to know. I want to know where buyers and sellers are, actual buyers and sellers in the market. And that's pretty much a lot of that's coming from working on the trade floor. You know, where are buyers and sellers? Because... You didn't have computers on the trade. I mean, you have a computer in front of you, but in the pits, you don't, you know, who is buying, who is selling? And that, you know, reflected electronically. But um, so I want to know who's buying, who's selling, where are their gaps? Where is, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I post a lot of um, TPO charts where I say, here's our singles here. This is the market's going to go fill those because that's what the market likes to do. The market likes to balance itself. Sure. Okay. So what's the reason why you've decided to purely focus on, on one market? Um, I just fell in love with the market, or, you know, in all respects, fundamentally, technically. Um, and uh, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody trades crude for 10 years, right? Um, only. I mean, I, I actually... I, I do throw other things in there, by the way. I have, at one point or another, traded pretty much everything, like including oats. So I, I have traded everything um, at, some, at one point or the other. But my mainstay has always been crude. And I guess it's just because that's where my passion is. I mean, I guess you just have to find where you know, your passion is. Some people can trade a million markets at once. Personally, I find it impossible to trade more than two markets at the same time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's a great answer, and it totally makes sense. So, if I'm correct, uh, oil futures trade. I think it's 23 hours a day. How do you? So, how do you trade this? Are you active during a single block of time, or are you up trading kind of around the clock? It really depends. I don't trade Asia just because simply the liquidity isn't there, and you never know. Somebody could throw a 50 lot in there, and it's going to move them. It's just too. Um, it's too unreliable as far as, you know, how it moves, again, because the liquidity isn't there. 
Um, a lot of times during Europe, you'll have some great, really nice moves. They don't have as many algos trading in that session. So for newer traders, I would say sometimes, you know, that market can be, or those times could be a lot um, easier to trade, not easier, but um, a lot of the noise isn't there that's in, say, the U.S. session. So sometimes, if you, you know, if, if you want to trade a product like crude, which is pretty manic, right, and it moves really fast, my suggestion would be, you know, start with Europe time or start with a mini contract, is what I tell people, because it really, I mean, it's a fast moving market. And sometimes, you know, it can wipe out your stops. You, you know, you, it's really something like I've watched it for 10 years and I still learn something new every day in the market. Okay, so how much time, just on average, would you say you spend in front of the screens trading oil markets each week? Probably too much. Probably <laughs> too much. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I, I mean, I'm th you can be a profitable trader without spending as much time as I do. Um, I'm kind of a market junkie. So, I mean, you'll see, I tr you know, I get up to see the Europe open. I'll get up, up to trade it if I think there's a trade there. So I, I'm, you know, I probably spend a lot of time in front of the market. <laughs> okay. So much more than your, your average uh, worker would during the week. Yeah, probably. I mean, my, my work week is, you know, 120 hours plus. Wow. Okay. Okay. So would you say that's, that's maybe partly the reason why you've been so successful at trading is because it's almost like an obsession for you? I think it is. I mean, when you have a passion about anything um, and you really enjoy it, then I think that's going to make you successful no matter what you're trading or what you're doing. Um, no, you don't have to spend this much time in front of the screens. I just happen to love it. And um, you really get a you know, if you watch it as much as I do, you kind of get a feeling of how the market's going to react, where, when, because you've seen it before and there's really no explanation why you just know the market's going to react that way. And it, it, a lot of that just comes from experience, which is why for newer traders to have a system is very, very important. I think, you know, have, have praise that you, that you make, that you make all the time, keep the guesswork out of it. 10 years later, go with, go with your gut. That's fine. But not at the beginning. Sure. So, Tracer, I'd like to sort of dig in a little bit more about uh, the fundamentals and the politics. So, you mentioned that some people might not agree with you that, you know, this is an important aspect to, to understand when you're trading markets such as crude. Um, why are the politics and fundamentals important to you, though? Um, well, it's important because I like to know, you know, especially as a day trader, what is going to make um, the market react? I'll just use the, the latest example, which was on Friday. We still have this huge glut of oil. Nothing's changed fundamentally. Everybody's still overproducing, blah, 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 yet the market goes up. Well, I followed my oil ticker. Blah, blah, blah. I knew the second that it hit that there were problems in Iraq and Nigeria, and they had pipelines that went offline, that they went offline, and then they, now it was you know, two seconds later, it was they were going to be offline for two weeks, removing about 800,000 um, barrels of oil from the markets for the next two weeks per day. Um, so immediately, I'm looking for long. Is this market, this market's oversupplied, this market's so, right now, 
I think we could get a squeeze. This market could go higher. But ultimately, uh, you know, the fundamentals haven't changed. So the higher we go right now, the harder we're going to fall. Okay, that's interesting. So just a couple questions off that. Where do you get the majority of your information from? Like, do you find there are certain resources which are more reliable than others? And the second part, if traders new to oil were to only focus on just maybe a few numbers or a few types of fundamental information, what would you say perhaps has the greatest impact? Literally, if you follow, um, you know, like, um, live squawk, squawk box, but, uh, or subscribe to any of those just for their oil. That is great. I know this sounds, and people don't believe me, but EIA um, and uh, IEA, which are just the government websites, are full of so much information that people completely tend to think, oh, it's just a government agency. There's nothing there. There, there is so much information there. It's, it's an invaluable resource, both of them. Um, especially EIA. So it sounds, you know, most people are like, it's government agency. There is so, there is so much information there. Um, IHS is another a good resource that you should definitely look at. All these people have things like um, refinery maintenance schedules, who's producing what, who's been detailed about what refinery is refining what, what, how much is coming out of each zone, you know, more information than your brain can possibly handle. So for new traders, you want to know fundamentals, start there. I mean, it's the obvious place, but really invaluable. Look at the information, look at, you know, I mean, I guess you have to be your own judge, but I mean, you should know what's going on within the market. Um, and if you don't want to do that, you can just follow my Twitter stream because I tweet every day and all the information not to promote my Twitter stream. I'm just saying. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, falling prices in oil. You know, they've been falling over the last uh, year or so. As we all know, you know, they've been on the decline for quite some time. What do you believe has been the underlying reason for this? 
The underlying reason is it's completely a supply issue. That's it. It's over. We're oversupplied, and we have not enough demand. I mean, it's a, it's very simple. It's more simple than anybody thinks it is. It's really an oversupply issue. We're we're oversupplied. That's it. <laughs> we're completely oversupplied, and nobody's nobody. It's a game of chicken. Nobody wants to stop pumping, right? So you have the Saudis and OPEC, and you have the U.S. shale. And nobody's going to stop, no matter what. And even though this rig count thing, which anybody that follows me knows, is my pet peeve of all times. Because um, just because my theory is rigs don't produce oil, wells produce oil, right? So even though rig counts down, you can't... Um, the price of and the technology is so fluid in the shale market right now, like advances are being made all the time with horizontal drilling and things like that of that nature and this is what i'm saying you should know the fundamentals and you should know rig counts you know eventually they will matter you know if we get to zero and nobody's drilling nobody's drilling but um you know as rig counts have been going down it really hasn't done anything to production levels so far. And that's because you have to know that ongoing technology makes this number very fluid and break even numbers very fluid. So, you know, that's another reason why knowing your fundamentals is really important because you would see, normally you would see rig counts are down. How much shouldn't you, you know, shouldn't oil be skyrocketing right now? Shouldn't production be way down? No, you have to know really, you know, how fluid these numbers are, especially in the shale industry. You have to understand that shale is a relatively new technology for the U.S. Okay, so what impact would you say falling oil prices have on a macro level? And what's been the roll-on effect to companies that are involved in the oil industry? Falling oil prices are, are good for the economy. Everybody considers them a tax break to the, at these levels, however... We're at dangerously low levels. They are no, no longer good for the economy. They are no longer good for oil companies. Right now, we have a huge, huge, I mean, huge debt problem. We have 40 bankruptcies last year. We have 70, 175 bankruptcies possible this year. Um, debt reconcili reconsiderations are in April. So we have this massive debt, debt problem. If these companies go out of business, what goes out of business with them? Um, restaurants, housing uh, it affects all sorts of sectors of the market, not just the oil industry, when these companies start to fall. So it's a massive problem. It's no longer good for the economy. It's no longer a tax break. In fact, you know, there are a million Fred studies that show that people aren't using savings in oil you know, to go spend on other things. They're using savings in oil to pay down their credit cards or save money. It's not, you know, the theory was... We have savings in oil. It's a tax break. These people are going to go out and, you know, go buy more clothes and go spend it on the economy and we're going to revive the economy and it's all going to be great. But that's not what's happening in reality. Okay. And as, you know, as the speculation continues, are prices going higher? Are they going lower? Where do you stand on this? Do you speculate or do you even care on, on where oil is headed in the long term or do you just sort of trade what's in front of you here today? I trade what's in front of me here today. Um, I do speculate only to the extent that I'm never going to call a top or bottom on any market because the market will just make you look stupid in the end. So I'm never going to call a top or bottom. Do I think that this market is, is done? Do I think we have a bottom here? No. 
I don't. Um, do I know where the bottom is? No, I don't. I don't even want to venture to guess where the bottom is. Um, but knowing all the fundamentals of the market, talking to people that actually trade the physical, um, knowing you know inside information, uh, fundamentally wise, I would say that you know we could have a squeeze here. Oil could you know oil could go to thirty seven thirty eight, and still I wouldn't call it a bull market until we break forty four forty five. We're still in a downtrend. And as everybody knows, I'm still bearish on this market. Even if I, I will trade the long side during the day, like, you know, as a day trader, looking at it, I'm trading what's in front of me. So I'll trade long and short, sometimes both in, in one day. Um, but as an overall macro view, looking at it as, you know, just speculating on the market, I would say this market is not done yet to the downside. Okay. And what is it about the 44, 45 level? And you that thinks if it breaks, if prices break those levels, then we are potentially in an uptrend from that point. Because constructively on a chart, if you look at a, at a chart, if you look at a 20-year daily chart, that's when you finally really start to um, see recover, like when you really break the downtrend. Okay. And just on this note still, what type of events or, or what do you think would, might need to happen for oil market to, to turn around to the upside? Like, what what would turn it around? Well, let's back up a little bit. Okay, March is uh, refinery maintenance season. So what we're going to see during March is a lot of builds in crude oil. That's why I think it's not done. If we are going to ever see uh, any kind of price recovery this year, um, it's going to be, you know, end of April, beginning of May, Q Q. You know, I'd say Q, Q, end of Q2, beginning of Q3, um, because at that point you have debt reconsideration. So, you know, if these companies don't get more money, they're not going to survive. And they're going to go bankrupt, which means that production is going to go way down. Um, and then you have summer driving season where you have demand. Is, it's a seasonal trade. Demand is normally up during uh, summer driving season. So with those two uh, happenings, Together, that could create a nice little spark to at least have some some recovery in the price of oil. But you know, it's all depending. We've got to see what what happens in April. Okay, and just on that, with the debt considerations, do you have any numbers that you might better share with us to show um, or to help us understand maybe how serious this situation is? Well, unfortunately, the banks have been less than transparent in, you know, we just had earnings season, right? And, uh, you know, oil debt is something that they have to talk about. However, they haven't been very transparent as far as uh, how much debt, where, when, and how it's kind of, they've been very closed about it. So I wish I had some better numbers for you, but um, it's been so, I, my gut feeling is these banks are trying to hide how much debt exposure that they have to these markets because they want to save their stock price. So um, I think they're afraid to sort of expose that. So they haven't been very forthcoming in um, where all this debt is. And, you know, they keep saying, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we've already considered losses up to a billion. Or, but I think their exposure is way higher than what their expectations are for um, not recouping this loss. 
Not to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm I'm just saying if you're less than transparent about something, what are you hiding, right? <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. It does make you wonder. So are there any words of wisdom that you have for less experienced traders who are keen to to start trading oil, just to kind of summarize what we've discussed here? Yeah, I mean, if you want to start trading oil, do it. It's the most exciting, fascinating market ever on the planet. Um, but, you know, definitely talk to people, ask questions, ask people on Twitter. Twitter is an invaluable tool, I think, because, you know, you can talk to experienced traders and, you know, in, in, unless they're dicks, they're going to answer you. I mean, I try to answer anybody's questions. All, and all of my friends that are, you know, veteran traders do the same thing. So, Ask questions. You have an invaluable tool. You learn all you can. Find a mentor. Um, you know, find a prop firm. You know, use all the tools that that you can. Um, I'd also say, you know, sim a lot before you just jump in, and um, maybe start with you know the mini contract or um, definitely try to find a system that works for you because crude's great at. Well, any market is great at, at, at faking you out. So, and get used to losing money at the beginning. Don't be afraid to lose money because it happens. Absolutely. Small amounts of money, ideally. <laughs> right. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, there's a lot of resources available. Don't go online to those schools. I know other people will kill me that sell, they're selling their school crap. I'm not selling anything, by the way. I'm just here to, you know talk to you <laughs> absolutely no and that's great but yeah i mean ask people questions i think twitter is an amazing resource and the fact that like i said i mean you have veteran traders there and unless you're a complete dick you could ask anybody anything and they'll answer at least the people i know <laughs> yeah i think twitter is such an awesome resource and I, i've been saying this for a while now i think every trader should be on there really making the most of it um because you just have access to so many great traders um, it's right? really cool and they'll like answer that. you and they'll be like, you know, way cool about it. Even if you're, you know, you're the guy with, you know, two followers and, you know, whatever. Nobody, you know, traders don't care. You ask a legitimate question, they're going to answer you. Before, you didn't have access to kind of traders like that. It's not like you could, like, call up Ackman and be like, hey, dude, right? Exactly. On Twitter, you, <laughs> Twitter, you can. Yeah. So, all right, last question just to take us out here. Um, and I kind of asked you it a little bit earlier, uh, but let's expand on it a little bit more. What skill sets have made you a successful trader? So you mentioned obsession. Is there anything else? Patience. Here's what I find. People, when it, like, people especially new traders, they think, I want to get in trade. I need to be in a trade all the time. I got to be trading all the time. I got to be trading all the time. I got to be trading. I make three to five max trades a day, day trading. I have a swing account too. Um, so, you know, you don't need to be trading all the time. You don't need to be in the market all the time. You have to wait for the market to come to you. Have your levels, have a system, wait for your market to come to you. Trading is boring. Most of the time I'm on Skype, you know, talking about the markets to people. I'm not in a trade all the time. You don't need to be in a trade all the time. If you're in a trade all the time and you're making 60 trades a day, you're over trading and you're not going to be successful because at that point you're just paying your broker. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. And you hit on an interesting point there. Uh, you said have a swing account also. So do you have a separate uh, trading account for your intraday trades and your swing trades? I do. I do. I have two accounts. So I find that I have one for swing trading. 
um, and one for day trading. So um, I find that that's a great thing to have because I can, you know, have a swing swing account, not care about the intraday swings, but yet then trade against my own um, position day trading wise. So once you get to that level, I would recommend if you want to swing trade and day trade, have two separate accounts where you can make swing trades. And then you don't really care and you have your in, you're out, you're not worrying about it. And then you can do your day trade scalping whatever in another account. Yeah. And I guess that would make things very black and white for, you know, to, to track how you're doing with your intraday trading and how you're doing with your swing trade. And it keeps them both uh, separate and very tidy. So now that's excellent, Tracy. Now, where can listeners go to find out more about you? You've mentioned Twitter. So what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter at ShyGirl. B-H-I-G-R-L. Because <laughs> I was from Chicago, so that's why. Great. And Tracy, I, I didn't ask you this before we jumped on the call, but would you be open to answering questions that uh, any listeners may have in the comments area of this interview? Absolutely. I would be more than happy to answer any questions. Cool. Okay. So guys listening, if you have any questions for Tracy, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash 62, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a question in the comments area and uh, Tracy will get back to you on that. So make sure you take advantage of that. Tracy, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, let's stay in touch. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, definitely. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.